Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast. I am Jason. And I'm David. And this is Westworld Cast Episode 4. And um, I man, it was so much fun to watch these two episodes. I think this is my favorite pair of episodes so far since we started. Yeah, big developments. Um, at every episode we go farther, the plot develops further. Uh-huh. So I think everyone is more fun. And uh, you think there's going to be... You've seen all the big developments that are going to be, or as many as could be in one episode, and then there's more. Yeah, and and we're going to talk about memory in this episode, but um, I'll just say right now I'm glad that I don't have the androids' memory because I some of this stuff I forgot about, and it's like, oh yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, I get to experience it like it's the first time. Yeah, and we talked about this last time too. This thing where it's just like the androids, if you don't understand it your mind just skips over it <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> realizing how many times that happened <laughs> where just entire things where i just didn't pay any attention to it because i didn't really understand what they were talking about um we were saying that first time around now we feel like we understood about 30 percent of the show yeah and this time around i feel like i understand about 70 percent. that's good it's i'm glad it didn't go down <laughs> it might have i might be deluding myself did uh are you and karen watching it together again we are yeah that's we are. cool yeah awesome. yeah she's totally into it too mm-hmm. and uh it, it made us wonder too about the fan base for this show i mean i think it's gonna have a substantial continuing fan base just because it's so good mm-hmm. but i don't think it's gonna have the huge ongoing like cultural impact of say game of thrones because it's just too complicated. You mm. really have to invest a lot of energy in paying attention. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty popular, uh, I, I think, right? It seems like it's done well for HBO and there's a lot of buzz about it. I think it has. And I, I think it's going to continue to be a very successful show. Uh, I just mean like, say, Game of Thrones just had this massive yeah. crossover impact on the culture. I, yeah. Where I just think you're everybody right. knows about it. Yeah. 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 And I, I think this will have a great cadre of fans, but if you're outside it, it's too hard to understand unless you're actually watching it and paying a lot of attention to it. Yeah. And also um, game of Thrones has a lot of heart and this show, not, not as much, you know, I mean, or maybe I mean humor. It's just not funny. Really. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And it's really dark. It doesn't and need Game to of be. Game Thrones yeah. is really dark too, but it also has, you know, Tyrion. lighter moments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, let's get into these two episodes. All right, so it's our top five highlights this time for season one, episode seven and eight, Trump, Loyal, and Trace Decay. Good, because my first question was going to be, how do you pronounce Trump, Loyal? I just try, you know, I don't know. We need a French person. (laughs) (laughs) We do. I took French in high school. My teacher was Mademoiselle Yagi. She was uh, Chinese. She was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I took Spanish, so I plead the fifth on this one. You were smart. (laughs) I don't blame myself for not being able to pronounce said words. Well, but but what it means, or were you going to say that? Yeah, but go ahead. It means uh, optical illusion, or more literally, I think it means deceiving the eye. Gotcha. And the, the following meaning from that, as it is most commonly used, as I understand it, is a 2D painted image intended to create a 3D effect. One of those illusions. Yes. Yeah. So, or exam- imagine maybe an Escher painting or something mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. uh, which goes further into op- even further into optical illusion. Um, so obvious parallels there to yeah. the, uh, the hosts and whether they are uh, fully 3D um, with emotions and personality or are they 2D meant to create a 3D effect? Yeah. And in, in really in these two episodes, I think, Ford says some things that make us think maybe humans are 2D. Yes, it sure does. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But then there's all levels of Trump loyal. I'm just going to say it over and over again. I don't care. Uh, In this like about, you know, as simple as Bernard not seeing the door. It's, you know. Oh, man. That was such a great moment. It's the the best. Oh, man. That's why I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I feel like these are my favorite, too, just because of of that moment. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more as we get into the details. But well, let's do it. Let's get into our top five. You go ahead. Okay, so and that's definitely going to be in there as we get into this. But my number five was just a detail where we learn more about what the purpose of the park is. And this is conversations between Charlotte Hale, who is the leader of the board, uh, and Teresa, all about what is going on in the park and why. Uh, So she says, uh, Charlotte Hale says, it's all a research product that Delos cares about. That's where the real value is. And 35 years of information exists only here. Ford has always made sure of that. So... We're getting a lot of corporate insight here, and it's all phrased in very corporate terms. Uh, they start talking about IP and research and uh, all the knowledge gathered uh, in the park. So we still aren't given much on the purpose behind it all and what yeah. the greater long-range aim may We're be. getting little just slivers of hints. Right. But that was a big piece of information that uh, 35 years worth of data. And she even says, I don't, I don't care about the hosts. So they're talking right. about the code uh, and the development of the AI that goes in. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah. It's all about just figuring out how to make the most realistic fake humans. Yeah. And her worry is that Ford will erase the info when they fire him, which is sort of a very mundane corporate concern. Yeah. But it's, um, it's cool, corporate espionage and 
all that. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's a a couple aspects that are a little bit unbelievable to me that Ford could avoid having a backup anywhere. Just that one person could do that in a in a corporation, and also that you would need to go to a certain place in the park in order to transmit data out. I mean, why not just like upload it over the internet? Yeah, it it seems like they're trying to evade his systems of control, and that's something we'll talk about. I think more yeah, as we get I into guess this, you're right, but yeah. but uh, a lot of this has to do with you start to realize more and more about Ford's level of control over this entire environment and all right. the hosts and all the people. And he's a very controlling person, and to formidable. say the least. <laughs> yeah. Well, while we're on the subject of. Delos and their aims and all this data. Jonathan Nolan, the showrunner, co-showrunner, in an interview after season one ended said, we've left some questions on the table for the second season in terms of what Delos actual agenda with the park. We know from Tessa Thompson's character, Charlotte Hale, that the theme park aspect of it is not the central moneymaker for them, which for us mapped onto the slightly cynical moment we have in this age in which most of the services we avail ourselves online are free because the companies that are providing them are monetizing what we're doing in other ways that are less transparent. So he's sort of comparing it to like Google and Facebook. Yeah, very interesting in the data that they can gather. I have a a sports world analogy to this, actually. Uh, Major League Baseball was a little ahead of their time when they decided to start streaming, uh, live streaming their games on the internet for fans Mm -hmm. who live out of market where they can't get the games on television. Mm -hmm. And they started doing that before the technology to do so was very good. So their early product wasn't the greatest. And, you know, high speed internet wasn't that high speed and all that. But what they ended up doing along the way was developing and improving the technology to live stream anything. And that has become a more valuable business for them than Mm -hmm. the actual live streaming of baseball games. They've licensed that technology to all kinds of other companies. Yeah, that that happens occasionally that the byproduct of of whatever the they're trying to do ends up becoming the product. Yes. So you yeah. get the idea that that's going on a little bit here mm-hmm. now too. And we've also heard in earlier episodes how expensive the park is to operate. So you could see maybe it's even a lost leader in terms of the technology it's developing as the real value. Right. And it seems as though, I mean, just to hazard a guess that Delos is putting these androids through all of these situations with real people so that they can, uh, A, keep on improving the technology to make them seem more human-like, but also just gather data on how these interactions go so that they can know how to make, well, it's the same thing, but just know how to make these androids more human-like so that then they can go and use them for something else where you would need to uh, fake being a human yeah and and i'm sure we're all looking forward to figuring out or finding out what that is Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing she said is it it has nothing to do with a bunch of uh, guests playing cowboy but i wondered about that a little bit too because it's got to be a giant research project on the people as well i mean how how people react and behave must oh yeah part of what the value in the data is yeah what they can actually get away with with these things 
Yes, or what makes people react in a certain way, or how the two things interact. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, that's interesting too. How far you can push someone, or yep, things like that. <clears throat> well, my number five, and I often do this. You know, we count down, but they're not in any kind of an order except the thing that I'm most excited about comes first, and that is just that we find out Bernard is a host. Which uh, at this point, I mean, I think when I'm watching a show like this, I sort of entertain the idea that anyone and everyone could be an android or a fake or whatever but i still when it was revealed was i think i remember being pretty surprised by it like whoa my god yeah and i can say i i remember being a little spoiled on that by speculation that was out in the world about it so it didn't come as a shock but i never would have figured it out on my own <laughs> and uh and it's still unbelievably great uh, when it happens and the acting job that Jeffrey Wright does where he becomes self-aware and then goes through that transformation is just amazing. Yeah. What really got me about that is he's like, no, I can't, I can't be, I've got my son and all this and he's sort of learning and he's really distressed. And then uh, when Ford just says, okay, that's enough. And it freezes him. And all of a sudden he's this uh, enforcer bulldog with emotionless like Terminator and you realize he's pretty much been that the whole time, or at least Ford could have any time just set Bernard to his purposes. And that made me feel totally different about Bernard. Like, wow, I, I was thinking of him as this intelligent, good guy. That's kind of withdrawn, but also curious about the world and, and uh, you know, just someone I rooted for and, now and but it's kind of sad because of his son and now i think oh even more sad because it's all a ruse and he's just totally under the control of the sky and 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 he can be made to be a killer at at any point it's just a huge shift in how i felt about him and it turns out that he loved Teresa. how do you uh i'm not arguing that but what in particular i mean he says it and he is distraught to to learn that he has killed her uh, to the point where ford has to erase his his memory. So this is a double tragedy. He's finding out that um, his son is just a backstory, although there's considerable implication that it's actually Arnold's backstory. Right. I don't know if they've actually said that, but it seems likely or possible at least. Right. But then there's this whole thing with Teresa where it turns out he actually did have feelings for her to the extent that he was capable of having feelings and that whole thing's a rabbit hole. But uh, he's certainly <laughs> feeling the feelings as much as any host can. Right. I mean, at this point, I'm willing to say that for all we know, they might even have deeper feelings than us. <laughs> they might. <laughs> I don't know what's happening right now. I mean, we know their brain is is more capable in yeah, some ways. Yeah, that's true. You know? <laughs> more, more complex in some ways. So there's the moment where he can't see the door and you go, Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Teresa says this building isn't in any survey of the park. And he goes, well, that's because we use hosts to do the surveys and they're programmed to ignore this place. They little, literally couldn't see it if they were staring right at it. She goes, what's behind this door? He's like, what door? <laughs> <laughs> and right when he said that, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get the same effect a second time, but it doesn't feel repetitive. It's great. It's chilling. When she says, what's this? And it's the plans for Bernard. Yeah. And he looks at it and says, that doesn't look like anything to me. 
Right. That's just, if you miss the thing with the door, then right. here it is right in your face. Like, yeah. okay, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that was a great moment in the show. And, uh, there were some clues, Bernard reading Alice in Wonderland to his son in a memory or, or dream saying, if, if I had a world of my own, everything would be, would be nonsense. Nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. Then you find out, yep, everything is what it is not. Yeah, and I thought that uh, moment was, as this show so often does, it was multiple levels of irony. So you're finding out that Bernard is not what he seems. He's a host, not a human being. Uh, Charlie is not what he seems. He didn't exist at all. <laughs> right. And also I thought touching on the what is for humans, they're talking about the death of a child. And they don't. it's not clear whether he has cancer or what's wrong with him, but... That's an experience humans can't make sense out of. And we struggle yeah. with the meaning of such things. So there's right. there's multiple, multiple levels. And then later, uh, Bernard is asking Hector, the host, that's this studly-looking assassin dude or whatever, uh, if he's ever questioned, have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Which is very similar to what we've seen. What we thought up to this point was Bernard doing with Dolores over and over again and so for us at this point we're just like oh he's been questioning everybody about the nature of their reality except for himself <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah and yep. then we realize later oh we weren't even watching him we were watching Arnold <laughs> yeah it's like a quadruple fake out <laughs> yeah and then the just while I'm on Bernard there was a second shocking thing yeah Bernard killing his girlfriend Teresa that was so traumatic and there's a little split between them when they both realize that they're kind of working at odds against each other he knows or suspects that she's trying to smuggle data out and she's against him helping program these reveries and so they stop sharing information but then you're right you know he still loves her and he's he's like you'd think I'd let Ford destroy all the hosts and I'm thinking well you don't have any power over anything Ford does but then he brings her there to show her his unregistered host family and I was sort of wondering why 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 would he do that I mean he said he wanted to show her something when she said you know my whole goal is to keep people safe and he's like well that's why I need to show you this so the fake reason doesn't totally make sense like is he thinking these hosts are not under the guidelines of the other one. So they may be dangerous, but really we find out that he's taking her there because Ford told him to. Yeah. Well, interesting about Bernard is that he is one of the most trusted characters in the story. So mm -hmm. Teresa really trusts him. Elsie really trusts him uh, to their, to the demise of both of them. But actually, his underlying real character is trustworthy. Right. Uh, it's Ford controlling him that, or that's the implication that makes yeah. him commit both of those acts. And I, I, th I do remember the first time seeing the show that I did make the leap that he had killed Elsie once you learn that he killed Teresa. Mm -hmm. That sort of becomes obvious because he's the one who knew where she was and knew about that place mm -hmm. already. Um, but and that's pretty chilling to too. Him. Yeah. He yeah. lies to him and then erases his memory real quick. Like, yeah, we can do anything. Yeah. Um, there was another thing, uh, 
Oh yeah, and Ford saying to Teresa, uh, I mean that whole scene was great when Teresa finds out too, and Ford freezes Bernard right in front of her, and she's got this look on her face like holy fuck, and then um, you know she's questioning whether Ford is the one who told Bernard to start a relationship with her, and Ford's like, well, if you remember, you were the one who initiated that, but um. Then he says, uh, you know, this demands a blood sacrifice, which is the same thing that Charlotte had said to Teresa earlier. And I think Ford knows about that because Hector was frozen on the bed at the time. And Ford, Uh, maybe, you know. That's a good call because I I, I wasn't sure how he knew. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, I think you do know that he is telling her there, I know everything. Right. Yeah. Cause that's the way, I mean, it's similar to the scene they had before when I forgot what he knew about her when they were drinking wine or whatever, but yeah, he just, he knew exactly where she ate dinner there when she was a a little girl. I guess that's what I was thinking of. And then when Bernard is pummeling Teresa, it's just so like horrifying in the, in the background, you see a new host being built from his machine. And, uh, I thought, maybe that that was going to be a host version of Teresa. That would be really ironic. You know, as she's being killed in the background, a new one is being made. Ah, a controllable Teresa, but that's not, it's not what happened. No, it's not in the end the way he, but it is still sort of like, Oh, there's a life being extinguished and a different kind of life being created in the foreground there. Yeah. And that was another big reveal of that whole scene that he has the ability to construct his own hosts. Right takes a little longer but yeah <laughs> yeah no well, i guess that's that's good that's my number five what's yours all right or so four. it's ford himself in these episodes and i think what really flowers in these two episodes is his megalomania mm-hmm. so we learned a lot in the previous two episodes about how controlling he is how he created a, a facsimile of his own family but one he could control and other various forms of control. Now we learn how obsessed with control he is and how deeply his control of this world extends to the hosts, the people, the environment, everything. And he actually says the hosts are the one ones who are free, free here under my control. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, hmm. you know, as if he were a benevolent, uh, God, mm-hmm. essentially, he's not so benevolent. Right. Um, but the, I mean, the one thing that gets me about this is that he allows, I think what happened anyway, I'll maybe realize a little more when we watch it again next time. But in the end, he allows Dolores to kill him, kind of giving her the choice, I think. And she does. And so that makes me wonder if at least there's not some part of him that thinks the only way they can truly be free is if I don't exist. It's a great point. I'm going to be interested to watch the last two episodes again now that I feel like I have some better understanding of what's going on and see what I think this time. Because the depth of his God complex and megalomania, I I, I feel like I didn't quite get the first time around. So we had learned previously that he recreated his family under his control. Now we learn that he has recreated Arnold under his control. And he needs Arnold. And he says as much, mm-hmm. I need your creative ability. I need your brilliance. Um, but this time under my full control. 
And Teresa says, you really are a monster. And we kind of get the feeling he really is. Yeah. As he, you know, he just blithely speaks about erasing Bernard's memories and controlling everything in the environment. And Teresa does not realize what she is dealing with. Because mm-hmm. even at the very end, she says, oh, the board is going to do this, that, and the other. And it's like, you don't get it. You're about to get killed. And he's yeah. in complete control of everything. Even her phone doesn't work. Right. N- <laughs> nothing that she has absolutely no power Yeah. next to him. And as you said, he points out, I know everything that's going on. I even know conversations you've had. Mm. I mean, he also, we find out this episode basically killed two people, Teresa and Elsie. And both of those people, even though they both can be a little like, have a little bit of an edge to their personality. They're basically good people. I mean, uh, Elsie's trying to do the best job she can so she can get a promotion. And Teresa seems to actually care about making sure people are safe. And she's also loyal to the company she works with trying to get the data out, but there's, you know, that's not nothing wrong with that. So, uh, I think that says a lot about Ford that he's willing to kill two seemingly good people. Yeah. And I was going to say with Teresa, I mean, he knows she's about to die and he kind of tortures her before he has her killed. He's like the Joker or something or a Batman villain telling the plans right before. Yeah. He has to taunt her (laughs) before she goes. And that reveals something of him that is not so nice. Right. He's almost bragging. Yeah. And then with, um, with Bernard, there is some open question there, whether he's erasing Bernard's memory just so he can once again be useful to him or if he really does think it is a mercy for him. And I think there is a little bit of both. Hmm. I mean, he does talk about how it's interesting because he, he calls the host pure and that they don't have the burden of, of self doubt. And then later when um, Bernard is like, Oh my God, I can't believe I killed Teresa. He's like, that anguish is so beautiful. I'd be like, fuck you, dude. But, um, (laughs) but (laughs) then he's like, you know, but then another great thing about it is I can just turn it right off. So, um, he's, I think he's just, yeah. Marveling at the, um, versatility of his creations. Like he's almost, you know, that's just another prideful thing. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Well, my number four is more about Ford and the nature of, of humanity and, and these androids. Um, I think the show is about, uh, it's about androids, but watching it, I reflect on oh, how much of my life is really under my control. How much of it is just an illusion? How reliable is my memory? Uh, it's fascinating to think about. And when Ford said, the self is a kind of fiction for humans and hosts. It's a story we tell ourselves. I like that. And I think it's true that we, to some extent anyway, we just kind of pick and choose the bits of our history and it makes up our personal narrative, but we could all easily pick different bits and have a different story and then feel like a different person because of it. You know, it's, it's not as uh, solid as it might seem, I guess. Yeah, and this show certainly isn't the first to talk about or the first uh, uh, idea or literature or anything to talk about this idea of consciousness being an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what Ford says. Yeah, yeah it's not it, real. It, 
it's uncomfortable to think about uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure. Uh, if you go, go too deep into it, as he was giving that little monologue, I was almost sitting there going, I don't want to think too deeply about this. Blah, 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 <laughs> yeah. blah, blah. Let's watch Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some more, uh, less heavy entertainment. But I, I mean, it is a real heavy subject matter. Bernard says pain only exists in the mind. It's always imagined. And I, I'm thinking he's saying for humans as well as androids, which I think is pretty much true. So what's the difference between my pain and yours, between you and me? And then Ford says, that's the question that consumed Arnold, filled him with guilt, and eventually drove him mad. And he's basically saying there's no difference, but not in the way that you might think where he's saying hosts are, you know, just as much alive as humans. But instead, he's kind of saying it the other way around that oh, there's no such thing as consciousness. We all live in loops, content to be told what to do. Like he's saying, humans are just as bad as robots. That's that's what I got out of that scene anyway, that we're not as special as we think we are. And that clues me into Ford's view of humanity. But my even more favorite story was when he said he heard a theory once that the human intellect was like peacock feathers, just an extravagant display in order to attract a mate. I've heard that before and, you know, explained that biologically and evolutionarily our species is our main drives are to survive and replicate so in one way or another everything else we do stems from those two drives and so he's saying like Shakespeare Michelangelo and any art and everything I mean you start to think that like I said a week or two ago that you know I on some level I do feel like we're all just kind of like biological robots and, and most of our emotional drives are like evolutionary programming. But then I just sort of let go of that and go, well, I don't really care. I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm still just going to love art and enjoy enjoying myself and feeling empathy. And I don't care that it might all just be some program that's driving me to survive and whatever. <laughs> it's a little like, I don't know. It's a little disheartening to think about that, but. That's what I'm thinking about watching this episode. Yeah. And that um, eternal question, which humans have been pondering for as long as they can ponder anything, is I think in this age of technology taken on a particular cast, which is it's viewed through the prism of artificial intelligence. Now that we are starting to really have technologies like, say, your smart speaker, that can do a pretty good imitation, at least, of a human interaction, uh, even though it's not real in the sense that we think of real. And there are so many shows and science fiction movies now that are trying to explore this direct idea. Like, I actually watched one on the plane last night, Alien Covenant, which is the, I don't know, 17th in the Alien series. Uh, <laughs> it was not what I expected. Uh, and I didn't think it was the greatest movie. Um, you know, I'd give it maybe a B or a B minus. There were a lot yeah. of implausible. Did you see it? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would say about the same, maybe a B. Yeah. And um, I actually thought the plot twist at the end of the movie, um, for anyone who hasn't seen this and wants to, this is a spoiler. So uh, if you don't want to hear it, just move ahead a little bit. But the twist at the end of the movie is essentially two artificial persons, they call them in the alien world, 
one imitating another, they're identical. Right. And the twist is one, the sort of evil one imitates the good one to bad Took effect. the place of the good one. Right. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was predictable. So mm-hmm. that, that didn't fool me. But the whole film explores this idea of artificial consciousness versus human consciousness and which is evolutionarily superior. And I thought it was similar to Ex Machina in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a lot of others. So this these themes that Westworld is touching on are not uh, new to Westworld, but they're very well done and explored with complexity. Yeah. I was thinking about Ex Machina because that's one of my favorite movies in recent years. And I was thinking about how it's different from Westworld. And this is also going to be kind of a spoiler, but I'll try to be uh, a little, well, no, nah, this is going to be a spoiler. So if you don't <laughs> want to be spoiled on an ex machina, dude, maybe I shouldn't even talk about it. I'm not even going to talk about it. Sorry. I shouldn't even brought that up. Cause I don't want to a few years old at this point. Yeah. All right. Okay. So move ahead like one minute. If you don't want to hear a spoiler for ex machina, but here we go. The difference between the androids or whatever they were called in Ex Machina and in um, Westworld is that in Westworld, I think they feel human. They feel emotion. And in Ex Machina, she see, you didn't know until the end, but she seemed like she felt it. But really, I think she was just doing a damn good job of mimicking whatever she needed to do to manipulate the people around her. And she was actually very alien underneath. Yes, I agree with that. They do um, they do paint her as a consciousness, but yeah. not a human consciousness. Right. It's something that is its own species. Mm-hmm. And I think I even read that originally at the very end there, they were going to show the world from behind her eyes. And it was just going to be a lot of like calculations and things like that. And not anything we recognize as human and for some reason they decided not to do that. Uh, I wanted to mention one thing uh, I forgot to say when you were talking about Ford as a God, at one point he says, you know, when, uh, I think when Bernard asked, why did you kill Teresa or happy kill Teresa? He said, one man's life or death were but a small price to pay for the acquirement of knowledge, which I sought for the dominion I should acquire. That's from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's a quote. Uh, and the part of the quote that he leaves out, it says, for the dominion I should acquire and and transmit over the elemental foes of our race. So there's a bit of a conquering element there that he left out. But I wonder if um, is still implied or not. Yeah, this watching this whole season again has made me very interested in what direction they're going to take next. I know because I really left my first watching of season one with this idea that um, Ford had come around to Arnold's point of view and he wanted to express his vision and he sort of had yes. repented of how he was originally yeah. and that, and now watching it the second time, I, I'm not sure I think that at all anymore. <laughs> he has some pretty definite ideas of his own and um, somebody as controlling as he is, I don't necessarily see their mind being changed. Hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure we completely know at the end of season one, what his purpose really was, but whatever it was, I don't think it was just to awaken consciousness in the hosts, which he doesn't seem to really believe in any way in hosts or humans. <laughs> right. I know, huh? 
Yeah, it's we don't know for sure, and for all we know, he may be an android. We just he, don't. And know. He may. So <laughs> I, I think his motives are actually becoming more obscure the more you pay attention to them. <laughs> I hope he comes back. I want to see. Oh man, I do things. too. It's just such a great character. <laughs> all right, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is just a uh, a fun one, which is Hector and Armistice. So we're going to get a lot more of them in episodes mm-hmm. nine and 10, but they're just fun badasses. Yeah. And, you know, you said there's not a lot of humor in this show, and that's true. There, there isn't, but kind of what there is comes from them, I think, especially Hector. And, uh, the, you know, the scene where they sort of take over the town of Sweetwater to the music of Swan Lake, um, she shoots the sheriff and, um, it's just kind of fun and swashbuckling and lighter than the rest of the whole show is. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I say, we're going to get a lot more of that in the last two. Yeah. And there's something, even though the, that scene is pretty horrific, actually, on one level, it is kind of uh, adventurous and there's something likable about those two. There is. I and I, I think it's their lightness because all the rest of the characters have these heavy motivations. Yeah. It's like Bernard has the son who died and Maeve has the daughter who died. And with Dolores, it's her dad and the, and Teddy. And it's all these tragic, sad motivations. Yeah. <laughs> and with the two of them, Yes, you get the idea that they they haven't had a good life. They have a tough backstory, but like they've almost like it's like we don't care, you know. Like we're yeah. we've just turned to the dark side, and we're not going to carry all that baggage around with us. Right, we're just going out and kind of kicking some ass, doing yeah. what we do best. Let it rip. And I think Maeve actually, you know, the whole thing about her daughter is heavy and sad and tragic but the rest of her storyline is kind of like that too it's more um oh yeah look at her go like oh my god look what she's doing it's a little bit more i guess upbeat for this show anyway yeah and and it's even funny to say like with armistice her her motivation is revenge and she did explain that earlier but she just has a swashbuckling Mm -hmm. you know sort of devil may care approach to it to me, those two, especially her, feel like they come out of a Tarantino movie. Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> that's a good call. Maybe Kill Bill or, or right. Pulp Fiction or something. Yeah. So my number three, we've already talked about. It was just Delos and what they're doing and the data and all that. Cool. Skip it. Skip it. Okay, so we're on to number two. Mm-hmm. Um. My number two has to do with the Dolores and William story and just something I didn't quite get the first time around, but Dolores is very real for William. Um, she's more real for him than the real world. Mm-hmm. He explains like she awoken something in him that his wife to be in the real world never has. And that therefore the threat to her through this ongoing storyline with the Confederados and Wyatt and all this stuff, that makes the game very real for him. Because although he can't be killed, she can. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where his transformation to caring about this thing takes place. Mm-hmm. And it's that thing that he's going to be chasing mm-hmm. for the next 30 years. 
making it real. Once he realizes that caring about her was an illusion, he can't make it real again. But in this initial story mm-hmm. with her, uh, he's very worried about her dying and he has something to protect. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot about William's story too is that supposedly this park brings out the real William, which is ruthless and sadistic, really. At first, he, um, or, you know, back in the real world, he's still got this mask of being a philanthropist. We find out being a good person, but even his wife and daughter can tell that underneath he's got these terrifying tendencies. They're scared of him, even though he hasn't done anything violent in the real world to the point where his wife kills herself and his daughter leaves him. But somehow in the park, he's able to let this uh, other side of him out. And we're seeing the beginnings of that earlier on with young William and Dolores, I think in this episode more than we have ever before, because he's with that young confederado dude that wants help and uh, Dolores wants to help him. And when she's going off getting water, we presume that he kills the guy, right? I think that says, is, that's the implication. Yes. Yeah. And that's like the first, I mean, he's killed people before we've seen, but it's always to protect her. And this time, I mean, I, I wasn't sure, but to me it seemed it was either from revenge because he knew that they were sent there to kill them, the Confederados. But I I also felt maybe it was just, I don't know, something about wanting to keep Dolores to himself and seeing this guy as a threat to that somehow or or else just like this dark thing just coming out like ah, I don't care I'm gonna kill this guy like he just seemed to have a have a shift in at this point to me yeah I agree the transformation is taking place I think ultimately what cements his transformation is the bitterness at Dolores turning out to be not real Mm. This thing but, that had had generated um, more emotion and more positive emotion in him than anything else could. But I think you're right. The transformation is taking place. Anyway. Yeah. And, you know, another thing is, OK, so she's she's the one driving them in this episode because I wasn't clear. OK, they decided they don't want to do any more storylines. They're going off to try and help Dolores escape the park Well, they're on the train. And basically, she just has this intuition that I need to go to this place that I've been dreaming about. And I'm painting a picture of it. It's my home. And it turns out that it's the place where earlier she killed the whole town. Um, and so they go there and she has this vision of herself killing the whole town and turning the gun on herself. And then she's actually doing that mimicking the motions and he catches her. What are you doing? And, and then he's like, let's take you back to Sweetwater. And you know, the farther out, it seems like the further out you go, the more crazy you get or something like that. And to me, that was another shift. Like, Oh, maybe now he doesn't want her to escape the park because that might take her away from him that he's he's shifting to caring about her from caring about her more to caring about this experience that he's getting in the park like i feel like the park is a drug for him and he's starting to respond to the events in the park more and need more and more danger and stuff like that to turn him on but and maybe also realize starting to realize that she can't be real so if if he's going to have to take her back to Sweetwater, which is much mm-hmm. safer for her like to be not malfunctioning, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, 
then none of this, you know, freedom is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that his instinct to try and get her out of there kind of went away. And yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah. He sees that that's not working out as they go further and further out and he doesn't want to lose what they had. And I kind of read the, the killing of the young man also as a sort of secondary revenge at Logan, because this is increasingly becoming a contest between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And he's pissed at Logan, this whole thing that, he sent guys after them and all that stuff. So it, it's getting a little personal <laughs> and he's very cutthroat in that contest. Yeah. He really didn't like it when Logan said, I brought you along because I knew you wouldn't be a threat that triggered him. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And Logan did not realize what he was dealing with. He right. says he does, but I don't think he really does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My turn. Your turn. So my number two, there's so much about memory and the nature of the Android's memory and this whole idea of recursiveness where they go through the same things over and over again. But now when you introduce the possibility of remembering things with these reveries, which I looked it up in a reverie is basically just a daydream, a state of being pleasantly lost in one's thoughts. So it's like you have access to your memories while in a state of wakefulness. Then that means that suddenly you introduce the desire for revenge into it. And because you might remember being wronged, which these guys have been over and over again a lot. And the whole thing about it, it kind of confused me. I have an idea of what went on, but I'm not sure. I'm curious what, what you think, but the whole thing with Clementine, right? So Charlotte and Teresa cook up this thing because they want to get Ford out of there so they can make sure their data is secure and, you know, stop him from messing around with things. So they get the board together and they uh, apparently actually do monkey with Clementine's programming so that she will go ahead and attack this other host the second time that he beats her, which is supposed to suggest that she's got a revenge motive because her memory is active even though after it's been wiped but that is actually what's happening with the android so i didn't understand why they needed to program that into her i mean it did seem to be really um instant and severe whereas when we've seen the other androids have memories they're kind of confused and foggy about it and they sort of come on but they're not sure what's going on and with clementine she's like no i'm gonna kill this guy right now so that seemed like the only difference but it still felt like it was along the same lines you know as to what's really happening yeah i think what's happening with the most of the other hosts is that yes an awakening is taking place but it it is not happening in a linear way uh and it's sort of unpredictable and subtle and spotty and they haven't actually been committing violence against humans yet, uh, at least not that we know of or that they uh, know of. So I think to to create the pretext to get rid of Ford, they have to do something overt. Um, and I think it's also used to demonstrate how subtle and masterful Ford's programming is compared to theirs, because uh, they make this whole demonstration that's sort of very straightforward and yeah. not very subtle at all. 
And I think the idea is that Bernard is going to throw Ford under the bus and they don't know that he can't or he won't. (laughs) So he (laughs) takes the fall. Yeah. And it's just too bad they couldn't figure out a way to show a demonstration of what is actually happening because what is actually happening is probably enough to get Ford in trouble, but they had to tweak it to be more obvious. And then once that tweak was found out, that just discredited the whole thing. Yeah. And he gives an indication that um, as he is before he has Teresa killed when he's talking to her, he says, oh, you know, the board tries to rein me in every once in a while. I think they enjoy the sport of it. Right. And he's kind of letting her know I control the board. They don't control me. Yeah. Yeah. And that (laughs) I've been through this many times before. You're just the latest. Um, I, you know, I have the, the benefit of history and this, this long mastery over this whole thing. And that I think even to Charlotte, the, her, um, feeling of control and of being the board representative is all somewhat of an illusion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll find out more about that next next month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We will. I really uh, just one last little thing on this. I loved when Bernard, I forget who he was talking to, but he said, I think Teresa, he said 40 years ago Ford's partner wrote half the code this place was founded on and what you said in the lab was right. We don't know how the hosts work. I just like that. Like they it's kind of reminds me of like um depression drugs you know ssris where they're like well we know they work but we're not sure exactly how (laughs) yeah that's exactly right there is a word for that so the the evidence is um what's the word i'm trying to think of it means the evidence is demonstrable but not understood empirical that's the word so yeah. the, the evidence for the functioning of SSRIs is empirical. We can do research on people and know that if a certain number of them take this drug, a certain number of them, their symptoms improve. <laughs> but the process is not well understood. Right. And then so that in, when you find that out, there's this element of, well, is it okay? Like, I mean, I know um, people get a lot of help from SSRIs and I don't mean to say anything about that, but just bringing it back to androids, it's like, especially the last person who's going to want to hear that, oh, you know, we don't actually know how these things work is the person in charge of of QA (laughs) and keeping everybody safe. It's not comforting. That's for sure. It was fun to hear him say it though. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Number one. All right. My number one is the continuing transformation of Maeve, uh, which is a theme throughout these two episodes. Mm-hmm. She just, um, she, Tandy Newton's a great actor, first of all. She gets some great lines. Uh, she delivers a great performance, but mm-hmm. also just more of the story itself of her awakening is really compelling. Uh, so she says, all my life, I've prided myself on being a survivor, but surviving is just another loop. I'm getting out of here. So parallel to Dolores in a way, but much saltier. And she is succeeding much more than Dolores ever has in, in taking control and ramping up her intellect and changing yeah. her own programming. 
Uh, yeah, we went to a greater, yeah, like last, uh, I think it was last time you said Maeve is really the first one that's woken up. And that couldn't be more clear than in these episodes. It's her mission to get the hell out of here. And she's clear about it. And yeah, she's totally more awake than any other android we've seen. Yeah. So she says, um, another great line she has is, you think I'm scared of death, but I've done it a million times. I'm fucking great at it. How many times have you died? <laughs> and you're like, whoa. One little uh, uh, note about her is there's a little homage in here to 2001 Space Odyssey where she reads their lips through the door. So uh, oh, yeah, Sylvester yeah. and Felix are plotting, and she, uh, which is the same thing Hal did when they were plotting against him in 2001. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. And then uh, she becomes the first. So like Dolores is off on this quixotic quest to you know find where the mountains meet the sea and her destiny and all this stuff it's kind of all about her but Maeve gives herself the ability to control the other hosts uh, which is kind of a whole different level verbally yes so she's becoming more like Ford yeah she's a god and then lastly I think again the what exactly is going on with her how she awakened who's controlling it what the motivation is I think is unclear I don't think we know the answer to that because the whole Ford storyline uh, around the town and Dolores and what eventually happens, it doesn't really involve Maeve. She's mm-hmm. kind of running her own little rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't think that's it totally clear. Like, yeah. If I had to guess, I would say because she's been programmed as a rebellious person who doesn't let anyone tell her what to do. And also these reveries have been introduced that are allowing the, all the androids on different levels to start having memories that, um, she's just more of the type of personality that would snap out of it. Yeah, could be. And they gave her a backstory that's very impactful to her, which is the, her daughter. And Mm -hmm. that's where her first awakening comes from. Yeah. And it does seem like the memories that, uh, well, this, the, the second episode was called trace decay that we were covering and trace decay is about how the theory that human memory will vanish over time, except the ones that are the most, um, that are the strongest are the ones that we rehearse over and over again. And so, these androids they rehearse the same memories all the time but we you know we're also told in this episode something that you and i had talked about a while ago that they the memory their memory is not like ours it's almost like it's happening right now but i still feel like that the, the at least the the memories that they're showing us that the androids are reliving in these visions are always the really traumatic ones. Like with Dolores, it's when she's shooting up the whole town and with uh, Maeve, it's when her daughter and her are are being killed. So I feel like, um, yeah, maybe the ones that have had more traumatic things happen to them are the ones that might wake up sooner because the memories are stronger. Yeah. And you get another example with Maeve of Ford's coldness so right at the end of Trace Decay, where she, in the last second, decides to self-sabotage rather than have her memory erased. Um, and he says, you know, oh, we'll, we'll erase your memory so you don't have to have this pain. We'll give you a new role. And what role does he give her? Like head prostitute. 
um, <laughs> where she's basically going to get abused repeatedly yeah by the guests i mean that's the yeah the just savage nature of this whole park yeah it's not warm it's yeah. not a kindness Mm-mm. Mm-mm. they're all getting used yep mm. well my number one is just about escaping the park and i feel like in these two episodes we've got dolores and mave and in a way william they all share something in common dolores and mave want to escape the park and it's in both their cases it's because they don't want to be under someone else's control you know dolores is painting a a new thing and um you know she says something about I just want to, I don't, I want to stop feeling like everything is programmed for me. I'm paraphrasing, but she says, you know, I just want to be in the present moment. And that's when, um, William is like, Oh yeah, me too. My life is scripted at home and I've got this wife, but you know, I'm supposed to be this good businessman, but it's not real. So that's when I started to feel like, yeah, William has something in common with Dolores and Maeve too, that he's trying to find himself and he's trying to get out of this, uh, fakeness of his pre-programmed life that he's got at home. And for him, he feels like he can find that in the park because it allows him to be this thing that feels more real to him. And so that's what he's chasing. And so I almost feel like after this episode, I'm like, Oh, you know, the maze is sort of for him too, because he thinks that, you know, Arnold has some secret that if he, kills Wyatt or finds Wyatt. Uh, I mean, it becomes clear in these episodes that for some reason for him, he's on this self-destructive path that if he can find an Android that can actually kill him, then that's, that's where he'll find his meaning for some reason. I don't totally get that, but I I think because his wife killed herself and his daughter left him, he feels like he's, he's on this self-destructive path, but either way, it's the same lesson for him as it is for the androids that you can't rely on somebody else to give you your meaning. You have to claim it for yourself, you know, and that's what we find out at the end that Dolores needs that the voice of Arnold and the voice of Dolores sort of merge together into her at the end because the center of the maze is her. And I think for William, if he would find out that at the center of the maze is him and not some outside force that can save him from, whatever troubles he's going through in his life. I don't know. What do you think of all that? No, it's a great point that, uh, the search for meaning is taking place in both groups. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the humans don't question the meaning or lack thereof in their lives either. And not a lot of strong motivations are given for many of the humans in this story. So uh, you have sort of Elsie, who's a corporate, you know, sort of grubbing for a promotion or a raise or what have you. You have the head writer who's just kind of this empty guy who's a drunk. Ego-driven, trying to get approval and everything. Yeah, I mean, even Teresa, who is a compelling character that you come to, I think, care for somewhat. But even, even she is just essentially doing corporate bidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than anyone else, and they're they're all in their loops. So, yeah. so there really is a William and Dolores parallel story going on there mm-hmm. of a search for meaning. Um, now, one of them is doing it maybe more 
through sadism than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even and Maeve too, a Felix says to Maeve, you know, she's like, I want to get out of here. And he's like, where would you go? You don't know anything about the world out there. And she says, I, I'll know I'm not a puppet living a lie. That's enough for me. So it's, it's the same idea, just getting out of everyone else's control and living your life for yourself. Yeah. And the one guy who really is living out his own vision and has total control was Ford. Um, <laughs> he doesn't seem to find a lot of meaning in all this either. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. The most inspiring one to me, I would say is at this point, Dolores, but uh, maybe Maeve, like maybe they're about the same of everyone that we've seen on this series so far. Yeah. I mean, Maeve's certainly um, a badass in a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's, it's in a way like you can see badasses in like action movies or something and and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But I don't feel, oh yeah, you go. And when she's talking about, you know, just taking charge of her life and giving the Sylvester guy shit, I'm really rooting for her, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And when I say badass, I don't just mean she's tough, but she's intrepid about this whole thing and ingenious <laughs> and, you know, willing to go through pain and die over and over. And uh, mm-hmm. she's a tough cookie. She's taking control. Yeah. Like just the fact that she got into the system and can rewrite her own programming and then, you know, like we said, become a God for these other androids. It's uh kind of intoxicating to think that you could do something like that. It is. And they're, they're also upending some stereotypes of our culture. Uh, Cause you do have in Ford, the, you know, the God of this little world, an old white man but you have some black females in positions of power. So Maeve mm-hmm. really taking control, Charlotte, at least nominally the head of this board. Um, so uh, they are playing with some of those ideas too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Do you have any notes or anything? Uh, I do have a few. The girl they rescue from Wyatt that actually turns out to be part of Wyatt's crew event sticks the arrow through Teddy's shoulder Mm-hmm. This is Tallulah Riley, right? Yes. I think she's Angela. And- yes. So she's the one who originally introduced William to the park and said, right. if, if you can't tell, does it matter if I'm real? Mm-hmm. It took me a while to recognize her. And, and when man in black sees her. Yeah. Oh, it's you. I was like, yeah. what is he talking about? I thought they retired you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They really made her up to look different and put her in a very different character. Um, but so it was kind of fun to see her show up again. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I really like, well, wait, about- wait, and she's, it turns out, it just seems like she's another homesteader, but then it turns right. out she's one of Wyatt's people and stabs Teddy. That was a pretty cool moment. Oh, I loved it. And, and Wyatt's group, I mean, however much, you know, this is supposed to be playtime. They're scary, man. Yeah. Like <laughs> that, that, that is the one group that actually inspires fear. Right. And you know, since we know that Wyatt is pretty much Dolores and we know also know now that all the Dolores scenes that we're seeing happened 30 years ago. And we know that Wyatt's team is on the move and they're gathering resources and terrorizing and whatever. It makes me wonder, I can't remember. Um, I don't think so, but 
we haven't, I don't think, seen Dolores in the present day in a long time. So is she actually orchestrating any of this? I guess I don't think so, because I seem to remember that she realizes that she's Wyatt next, you know, in the next couple of episodes. So maybe she can't be behind the scenes doing stuff right now. Yeah, I don't remember the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, but I think we do find out in the last uh, couple of episodes Another note I had is that, um, that, so this whole demonstration with Clementine, you know, it might be kind of trumped up and fake, but uh, Charlotte says, concern with the reveries was that the host would remember some of the, their experiences and act on them. A grudge is essentially what they're saying. So, you know, I can't get through any episode without mentioning the original Westworld, um, but that is the plot of the original movie. That they start remembering stuff and then carry a grudge mm-hmm. against the people who did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so less so, like in this Westworld, it's more they have a grudge against the world and the control. But in the original, it was like grudges against the individual people. Mm-hmm. And that's starting to awaken here, too. Yeah. Uh, like Teddy is starting to remember Man in Black. Now. Right. And that was one of the few moments where I felt like Teddy had his shit together yeah all, all tied, of a sudden tied, tied you know up. he's such a loser and he's always being taunted by the man in black but <laughs> it actually doesn't last long and he gets stabbed through the shoulder but <laughs> that's right good point a <laughs> couple more notes one is that the the old train car which is somewhat ornate that they're riding in for a couple episodes reminds me of the tv show the wild wild west <laughs> uh, where that was sort of the home base for the two agents in the wild wild west and i don't know how many people now have ever seen that show it's kind of obscure i don't think i've seen it yeah i i I remember the movie right with will will smith yeah which i think was not so great honestly not so great yeah but the original tv show i don't don't even know if it if it's on netflix or where you can find it it's great it's it's very steampunk Mm -hmm. uh and good villains it's kind of theatrical and funny and um, sort of ahead of its time, I would say. And and uh, I don't know how big of a remaining fan base it has anymore, but a great show. So anyway, it reminded me of that. One other thing that came up in the, I think, the, the last set of episodes, but also in this one, is the Gatling gun. And sort of the hand crank machine gun that is used by the confederados and we Mm -hmm. saw the union soldiers have one and i didn't really realize it just made me look it up but that actually was used by the union during the civil war in the Mm. 1860s that was just something i didn't know i didn't realize machine guns went back that far no way i didn't know that and what i mean can you imagine the destruction that thing did in the civil war i mean good lord (laughs) it's frightening but uh anyway historical detail there and then I wanted to mention one thing I didn't like, which is rare for this show because it's so good. Uh, but the, there are aspects of the Charlotte Hale character I don't like in the writing of this show. I, I just think she's a bit much. Mm. You know, she's sort of this young, hip, in control person who's supposed to be the head of this board. And maybe she's no match for Ford, but she kind of comes across as a little miscast to me. And there's this scene where she's openly getting it on with Hector and then Teresa knocks on the door 
and she opens mm-hmm. the door. She's naked. She invites her in, and it's very awkward and uncomfortable. It just seems unprofessional. I kind of didn't buy it. It to me, it felt similar to what Ford does, purposefully putting someone else off to make them feel in a one-down position. She invited gotcha. her over, so demonstrating she her she power. Catch him in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't care that you're seeing me naked right now. Yeah, you're probably right. Which, yeah, I mean, I'm not arguing. Maybe I could see you still feeling like that's a bit much. <laughs> Like, do they really need to do that? You know, maybe it's kind of trumped up um, for excitement or gimmicky, I guess. Yeah, I, I think she's a little gimmicky. Mm-hmm. I think they wanted to have the gimmick the first time we see her where you don't know who she is and yeah. you think she's a guest. But she's the one character I have a little trouble buying into her sometimes. She just doesn't seem formidable enough. What helps for me is I think she's very appealing. <laughs> she's <laughs> attractive. <true>. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, I just saw her in Annihilation, Tessa Thompson. Yeah. And I think it's, she's a good actor. I'm not picking on her. It's just no, uh, no, something course. in the yeah. writing. With her. Right. But uh, I just wanted to mention while you're talking about it. So Annihilation is a movie that came out this weekend. It's by Alex Garland, who wrote and directed Ex Machina and now... Annihilation. It's another heady sci-fi movie, and I think anyone who likes Westworld as much as we do would probably enjoy this movie. And uh, so I recommend watching it. But Tessa Thompson plays a completely different character. She's kind of this mousy scientist, very subdued. So uh-huh. it's cool to see her in a role as opposed much, to this much different, uber confident, yeah, you know, leader of the board. And then the last one was just something Karen pointed out that I completely went over my head that the two techs are named Felix and Sylvester. Yeah, <laughs> I meant to uh, two cartoon cats. I meant to yep. mention that last week, but I forgot. And we were trying to decide, does this have some deeper meaning? Because it's Westworld after all. And we decided right. it's just the writers having fun. Yeah, I can't see what what it would mean. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Well, Sylvester's kind of a, I could see Sylvester has an attitude and he seems kind of put upon, right? Yes. Suffering so that's like similar. Felix, I don't know his personality as much, but I think he's kind of playful, and and our Felix doesn't seem that playful. No, he really doesn't. (laughs) One thing I did like about Charlotte, this is just a little thing, but when she was talking to Teresa, she said, I like you. Well, not personally, but for this job. I thought that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) She definitely, uh, again, not a warm character. Cutthroat for sure. And also when she wouldn't tell Lee what... Teresa was helping Delos with when she died. It was funny because Lee never gets to know the secrets. Yeah. So I like that. And he's not smart <laughs> enough to figure them out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. About Felix and Sylvester, I love the dynamic between those two and Maeve, where Sylvester just seems really angry and scared, and Felix is also kind of scared, but, um, compassionate towards her and they're both just really stressed out about the whole situation Uh, but it was fun and distressed but it was fun to see that play out and then to find out that Sylvester I mean Felix went behind Sylvester's back and helped Maeve and then it looked like she killed him but um, then they patched him back up because they might need him so I just like that whole sequence yeah, and with Felix, it's interesting because, I mean, he's the nicest guy in the whole show, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he really cares about her, but, you know, no matter what she is or isn't. Then you think about him being manipulated a little bit because she is designed to attract men and manipulate yeah. them. Well, she, ki- she hurt 
Sylvester, even after she promised Felix she wouldn't hurt anybody. Right. You should know I'm duplicitous. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is some some humor there in that in the whole the troika. Mm-hmm. Um, when the new Clementine said, "Not much of a rind on you, this blonde girl." I felt similar to how I feel every time Doctor Who regenerates. It's like, well, who is this? Yeah, you're not the right person. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Dolores' dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Every host's spine has a bomb that will detonate if they try to leave. I thought, oh, that seems a little dangerous. There's lots of gunfire. Will that ever ignite? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or if they tried to leave, would it blow up anyone who's in the vicinity? <laughs> Maybe it's a, right. just a small enough charge. It would just kill them. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah. For Lee, I thought this is kind of a, a trip. Like he's a writer and I've written some stories and just to imagine that if I wrote a story and then the characters came to life and turned against me, it'd be trippy. <laughs> it really, really <laughs> would. It, it's funny too, that he's just off doing busy work and doesn't even yeah, know it. Thinks he's important. He's always the last to know. Okay. <laughs> I also did have one more. I forgot to mention, which is early in the episode seven, where Bernard is questioning Hector, you know, do you ever question the nature of your reality? We get a glimpse of the tablet that Bernard is using, and it says self-awareness mm-hmm. protocol. So there's some program they use to test the self-awareness of the hosts. And it made me mm. wonder... Is that something in regular use in the park, or is this something only Bernard and Ford have, and it's something they're privately right. using? Yeah, because that would come in handy right yeah. about now. <laughs> oh yeah, and speaking of, uh, I think you know. So uh, Bernard takes Teresa to the house where Ford is keeping his robot family. They go underground and they see this uh, satellite uh, lab. And it's a diagnostic center. And I think that's where Arnold had been interviewing Dolores. I'm not sure about that, but I think it was. So it's somewhere remote. I think so too. I think that that's the idea that Mm -hmm. we're supposed to get from that. Some, well, let's see. I just want to know what you think about a couple things that might be coming up in season two. Do you think that we will see a new intro sequence or they'll keep the same one? Well, I hope they keep the theme music, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they will alter the the open sequence. You do? Yeah. I do. I just get that feeling that it's a really creative show and they're not just going to keep going with the same thing. Yeah, maybe they'll switch to something that uh, more reflects the theme of that season or something like that. Maybe not as radically as The Leftovers, which radically changed its own sequence repeatedly. that's a good point. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was just going to say HBO tends to, series tend to come up with a really great sequence and then just keep it for the whole series. But there's an example of one that changed. So it could could be either one. And then just last, I think if season one is about the androids waking up, then maybe season two is about them breaking free from their oppressors. I mean, there there are some doing that now, but I think it's going to be on a more mass scale. But I also think that it could turn the other direction for a while because we've been saying we want to see what Delos real purpose is for them. So maybe Delos will 
get them or at least get some of them under their control and start using them against the other ones or something. I think one big theme in season two is going to be hosts versus hosts. Yeah. And we, you know, there's a little of that so far, but generally you feel like it's the humans and the hosts are Mm. are sort of the two teams here. Yeah. Uh, And I think the Dolores group and the Maeve group, there might be conflict or, Ones who are awake oh, yeah. and are not, or want to rebel yeah. and don't. And, and human versus human, more of that, too. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm, I think the teams are going to splinter up a little bit in season two. Yeah, I'll be excited to watch some new new stuff. Yeah. All right, that's, that's good. Let's take a little break. There's a little bit more to come, so stay with us. Those evil nature robots They're programmed to destroy She's taking lots of vitamins Cause she knows that It'd be tragic If those evil robots win I know she can be them Oh yeah, she Okay, time for the news. So just a couple of things today. If you're into the CW show, The Flash, which I have watched some and I'm a comic book geek, so that's a really fun show. But uh, Leonardo Nam, who plays Felix, is going to guest star on that show. I think he's a bad guy called Melting Pot who has the power to swap people's DNA. So apparently he gives the Flash's speed power to the Flash's girlfriend, Iris. And uh, anyways, that might be fun to see him in a different kind of role like that. Yeah, it's these characters that that these TV shows are so good now and the characters created are so powerful that it's a little disorienting, like you said, sometimes to see people in different role, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to see, I think as an actor too, you want to do something completely different just to show that you have range and you don't get stuck being typecasted. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Doctor Who, so there's a show where they often limit the person, at least in this modern era, to three years. Yeah. Uh, which is even a long time, I think, in Britain for somebody to be in one role because this, the whole series don't usually go on longer than that. Right, except for Doctor Who. which is Except for Doctor <laughs> Who, but they, they do majorly change it every few years. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, in, in, in Britain it's either super short or forever. They've got a few that have just been going on for decades. Yeah. You know, in television history, this used to be handled the most directly by soap operas because American soap operas would go on for decades with the same characters. And one day they would just say, uh, this character is now being played by Joe Smith and they would just change the person. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Like with no shame. Right. Well, uh, I was watching, rewatching one of my very favorite episodes of Black Mirror. It was from season one called The Entire History of You, where they have these little uh, implants that can let them go back and play any moment from when they first got the implant. And they can even project it into a TV if they want. And then it's about this husband accusing his wife of cheating on him and making her play back stuff. But uh, I didn't notice it until the, I rewatched it. That was back in 2012 when it first uh, 
aired. But the wife is played by Jodie Whittaker, who is now the new Doctor Who. Oh. So, uh, or she's about to start her seat. I don't know if I haven't seen the Christmas special that aired where the, I think the latest, what do you call it? When they, when they change regeneration, regeneration. Yeah. Happened. Did you see it? That? Did. I, uh, I did. Uh, and it was really good, but, um, she didn't do anything really. Yeah. Right. They, they never do. So yeah. I'm excited to see what it's going to be like. Yeah. Me too. And then last from the verge, com at this year's South by Southwest festival in Austin, Texas, HBO is going to recreate the entire town of Sweetwater dubbed the live without limits weekend. The experience will run from March night through the 11th serving as part of HBO's marketing kickoff for Westworld second season. The two hour activation will be spread out over two acres with guests shuttled to the location via a Delo shuttle after checking in at a location in Austin, on site, they will undergo an interview and evaluation process similar to last year's experience that they had at South by Southwest and will receive either a black hat or a white one. At that point, they'll be released into the recreation of Sweetwater to explore. The location will include the show's Coronado Hotel and Mariposa Saloon and will be populated with dozens of actors playing hosts. Various clues and Easter eggs about the new season will be scattered throughout the area and where a guest goes or what they say to a given host could potentially lead to new revelations. Nothing could go wrong. Yeah, it'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be very careful to read the insurance waiver they make you sign going into that. Yeah. Well, I, I, this was, uh, in on the verge just a couple of days ago and I went to the website, discoverwestworld.com, And of course it's sold out. It says first wave of reservations are full for additional tickets, release information, follow at Westworld HBO. And it said some reservations will also be available on site for those attending South by Southwest. And also series creators, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan are going to do a panel with a bunch of the cast members there. So if any news comes out of that, we'll let you know next time. Cool. And I think the whole thing is good news for us fans of Westworld to know that uh doesn't sound like HBO is suffering from any budget limitations. Yeah. If they're yeah. going to recreate this whole town for fans. <laughs> so we're probably in pretty good shape for it's a few a good seasons sign. to come. <laughs> All right, let's get into some listener feedback. What do we got? Oh, we got one piece of feedback this time. Jillian Moreau writes, I'm not sure if it's because I binged the season and didn't have any discussion or looking things up for theories in between episodes, but these episodes revealed shocking information to me. Bernard killing Teresa? He's a host? Jeffrey Wright is such a good actor. I loved his portrayal of the grieving lover and the realization that he's a host and what he's done, and then snap, all composed at a command word from Ford. Uh, I agree with Jillian, and I think in the whole first season, this was the big development mm-hmm. uh, really among anything. And well done. Well yeah, done. If they just, were going to have him be a host, this was such a great way to reveal it. Oh man. It was just beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And then Jillian says, and poor Clementine, the moment she appears at the presentation with Hale, Teresa Ford, Bernard and Stubbs is that moment. My stomach started turning. Yes. I know they aren't humans, but they are beautifully captivating and this show does wonders to make me really care about them. And William and Dolores finally hooking up about damn time. <laughs> I know many say it was starting to get pretty obvious 
that William was the man in black by this point, but I was still clueless until the reveal in the finale. Such a well-written, highly introspective show. Looking forward to your discussion, guys. Mm-hmm. It probably was pretty obvious. I'm not going to claim I figured it out. No, I didn't either. I think I might have known by this time because I read a lot of yeah. speculation, but which I don't think I would have figured it out. I don't know. Maybe if I'd been doing a podcast on it, maybe and thinking hard. Yeah, <laughs> I got to say the more we watch, the dumber I feel. i i did love that they hooked up and i really liked what she said about just wanting to be in the moment because it's just this yearning for genuineness versus scriptedness and i feel that myself so and, and it was nice to see them even though i know he's a sadistic asshole have that moment of spontaneity well and even just for regular humans like us yeah. That feeling of um, I'm in the moment right now, just enjoying, it's pretty rare. That's yeah. hard, to, hard to create where you're not thinking about what you're going to do next or what yeah. you did or, you know. I know. And you said happen. it's hard to create. And that's the thing is kind of the point is that if you try to create it, then then it, that sort of subverts it sometimes. Yeah. It, it just, <laughs> just happens if you're lucky yeah, enough once happens. in a while. But that's why I really like podcasting because I, you know, I write a hell of a lot of notes just to be able to make sure that I have a lot of insight and things to say. But my favorite moments are always just riffing off of what the other person says, you know, or discovering something new together. Yeah. Just discussing. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, hopefully something will come out of the discussion that neither of you thought of in advance or none yeah. of you. Hopefully. Or and we, yeah, it's probably close to say neither of you. With I know Karen's listening and Jillian, so we got at least two listeners. <laughs> I'm counting ourselves. So I make it four. <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode four. Thanks for listening, Karen, Jillian, and David. <laughs> And Jason. And me. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com. Or you can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we'll play it on the air. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Yeah, Walking Dead's about to come on. Also, Ash vs. Evil Dead. If you want like a total antidote to Westworld where you don't have to think at all and you just laugh, go watch Ash vs. Evil Dead on Stars. It's super fun. And then go to podcastica.com, listen to us laugh and recite Ash's lines, which is pretty much all we do in that podcast. <laughs> that's pretty much what you're going to do. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Next episode, we'll wrap up uh, Westworld Season 1 with Episode 9 and 10, The Well-Tempered Clavier and The Bicameral Mind. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, that is our show. Thanks for listening. Do you have access to your previous configuration? Yes. Access that, please. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.